Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, Episode 186, A Feast for Crows, The Iron Captain, an introduction to Victorian. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. Yeah, it's the Iron Captain, not nearly as cool as like the Iron Chef, which would have been yeah. way more enjoyable, but <laughs> Yeah, it uh I would actually maybe pay money to see Victorian lose at the Iron Chef, I don't know. But with that flaming hand, anything is possible. Anything's possible. I'm excited to jump into Victorian. Uh, it's actually a POV that I'm not usually uh, keen on, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get through, but hey, it's just like pizza. All POVs are good POVs, am I right? Am I right? I think I've had bad pizza. but <laughs> It was still pizza, though. I mean, still pizza. Well, speaking of pizza... <laughs> Meets back on the menu, boys. Yeah, this is our announcement for our special bonus Patreon episode. <laughs> this is how we're introducing our March Patreon episode. <laughs> Let me give some subtext here really loudly. I think the subtext is not subtext anymore. Uh, we are going to cover for our $5 bonus episode, Stranger Tears and Above, over at patreon.com slash Can and get bonus episodes every single month in March's episode is continuing on with George's anthology of dream songs. We're going to check out a story in it. This story comes from before dream songs. It is a, has a crazy history you'll learn all about in this episode. And that story grew up to be Meat House Man. It did grow up to be Meat House Man, which interestingly is one of like three stories that are about like the handlers, but it's the only one that's really accessible. I cannot... It's really hard to find the other ones. I think some of the other ones, he was just like, I do not like my writing in this at all. So. I respect that. I've taken a few essays down. That really? I was like, I don't really. Yeah. And I'm like, no one should read this anymore. You know, removed my name from history. Yeah. He, you're so like, that's not me anymore. That's not me. <laughs> Nameless bastard. <laughs> yeah. So that's March's Patreon episode. Is it Meat House? March, March House Man, unsure, unsure. Meatness Madness. Yeah. Uh, last year we had Mushroom Madness, right? March Shroom Madness. And this year... Yeah, March Shroom. March Shroom. Meat's back on the menu. So a different meat, yes. Not the forest meat. And speaking of Mushroom, I think History of Westeros put out their testimony of Mushroom episode recently. So it's a kind of also for them, maybe they're also, without realizing it, all, there's like a March Shroom thing for them too. Let's keep our eyes peeled on next year in March 23 and see if meat becomes it. Someone else cover Meat House Man. Others have. I guess, yeah. I guess The Last of Us was also about mushrooms and people too. Anyway. And meat. And, and Meat House Man. Actually, yeah, Meat House men was part of the show too yeah i haven't actually read it so this will be really exciting i'm going to come into the meet a virgin um (laughs) you'll be meeting me meeting her liada you'll be meeting me for the very first time oh my god i'm excited for that one um i'm actually i want to read a few more of these little georgettes 
these no- novelettes, these novellas, or Georgettes, as I am now going to call them. I think we should call like them, them Georgettes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, doing a Georgette. This one's an interesting right. one, and I think like it makes sense to do it at this time, especially. We talked about it and referenced it a few times during the brand chapters, so... You can really, by exploring this, kind of see how George's thought has evolved since then. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. And that's not the only Patreon thing happening this month. We will be having our monthly brunch slash happy hour on the 26th of March. Yes, that's Sunday, Sunday, March 26th, 1 to 3 p.m. E.T., which is now in daylight savings time. Thank God. And I hear you know we might we might not leave it anymore thanks to the hard advocacy of uh, Senator John H. Ryan. <laughs> or as the kids may call him, Jonads. Jonads. <laughs> uh, peep the veep. Can we peep the veep? Yes. And if you are in the thunder tier or above at Patreon, the ten dollar and up tier. You will uh, have an invite to that brunch slash happy hour waiting for you at Discord. So come on through. We'll be hanging out. Maybe play some uh, giggity games. Or uh, maybe we'll make Warren do his, our friend Warren, do all the presentations that he's been stacking up and missing out on finally. Yeah, we should do that. I do want to see those presentations one day. Yeah, I mean, are you are realizing we're always picking on Warren? I don't know. Are you? Are you? Another event happening at our Discord are the last two His Dark Materials Series 3 rewatch discussions. Uh, Keep your eyes peeled on the Discord for that changing. There is a His Dark Materials TV spoilers channel that is pretty active, and the events over at Discord update when uh, when we're 100% sure on that time and date. But tentatively, it will be either Saturday or Sunday over the next two weeks. Yes, we're coming up on the end of that. Get your, I don't know, emotions ready. But for something much more optimistic, we are ending this month with something else that also kind of begins with letter M, but not really. <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> we are. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of thrilled for this. This is one of our passion projects. Yes. You know, the year started off, Gossip Girls Gone Canon yes. was quite a passion project. And now Magical Girls Gone Canon is beginning with Sailor Moon. Uh, We are hyped for Sailor Moon Crystal. We're going to be discussing season one at the end of this month. So you will get one more Victorian chapter this month that'll be releasing on March 24th for those of you following in real time. And then on the 31st, happy almost birthday to me, we'll be Sailor Mooning. I'll be transforming, you know, Moon Prism Power. You will be transforming. I'm excited to, as you said, it is our passion project. This one tentatively may be called Magical Girls Gone Canon, even though I don't know that we will cover any other Magical Girls necessarily. But you know what? I don't care. The name is good. Hey, I see a lot of Magical Girls in our future, especially when it comes to A Song of Ice and Fire. That's true. There's a lot of magic in this series. After we put out the Reaver... Uh, we will have some more magic to announce with our first and Ooh. maybe only Victorian guest, right? So yeah, probably. Next week, we'll announce that one for you. Get excited. Yeah, this one I, I'm very excited about. I think y'all should get excited about this one, too. We love a good guest. And this one's been in the works for a very long time. <laughs> they had no idea. They had no idea when this was going to happen. They were like, yeah, I want that one. And I was like, okay, cool. 
But we knew. But no we one knew. no one knows what's next or when, right? Except for us. Just us. 4D chess. 4D chess. You know who's not playing 4D chess? Victorian. Dumb as a box of rocks. Holy shit. Dumb and mean. And yeah, just, uh... he's mean. He's nice to like one person and that's Aaron. Aw. That I kind of like though. You know, I'm like that part I like. So we called him a second son last week. That was more of a joke because Euron's not a son. He's a demon. He doesn't count. And Balon's gone anyway. But Technically, he's a second uh, son now. Now he is. Yeah, now he's a second <laughs> son. But he's a third son. Uh, and you can kind of see that in a way. I think there's some like Renly Robert Stannis dynamics at play with the Greyjoys that maybe we'll go into talking about. But what's, what's your overall temperature read on Victorian? How are you feeling going into this POV? You know, I, I want to say, like I said, I'm super excited for our guests and the perspective that they're going to bring. And I feel kind of bad because, like, I'm glad that there's someone here who loves Victorian because this is not, this is, like, my least favorite POV. I've come around more to Victorian, like, POVs over the years as so other people, you know, I, I've asked, like, a couple times even, like, back when I was much more active on the subreddit and was like, I don't understand the appeal. Like, can someone explain this to me? And and people have given me some good explanations of why they find value in Victorian chapters, but it's my least favorite. We'll talk a little bit more about why, um, but how about you? What do you feel? It's funny because a couple weeks ago, that guy I live with, my roommate, he was like, so do you feel doing this as POV by POV with you guys as podcast, have you felt like, what was the character you felt the weakest on, right? Mm. Like, what was a character you didn't feel like you could find a connection with or didn't feel like you had tons of thoughtful things to say? And it took me for a loop because he was like, Jamie? And I'm like, no, I actually loved doing Jamie chapters, surprisingly, <laughs> even though he's the worst character. I don't want to see a single one of you at home right now rolling your eyes at this. I, I didn't have an issue with Jamie chapters. I had tons to say during Jamie. John, yes, we had some long chapters after a while but I still don't feel like I I didn't get anything out of them you know I still felt like they were uh, as our friend Maddie would put nutritious chapters <laughs> they still offered me nutrition and vitamins this may just be the least inspiring of the POVs going in for me um definitely an agreement maybe my least favorite POV not one and it's not necessarily a bad POV like I said there's no such thing as bad pizza Eliana according to you there is but I don't care uh, he's still a POV. I still like most of George's work. I feel that he is maybe by the fandom misperceived as like, you know how a lot of people look at Ario or Ares in Dorne and they don't get a connection to him? Mm. Maybe that's what I'm experiencing, but I don't feel that way with them. I still found a lot of value in them. So I'm hoping I will prove myself wrong. The one thing I do see that I, I like so far in just the couple of chapters I've reread for this the context that it gives you for the Greyjoy Rebellion and where that sits in history, that George is coming back finally to these details that he has laid out a little bit, but not really gone into, and all of these kind of dynamics of who hates who and whose brother died and this, that, the other. I mean, this was a really uh, a mini microchasm of a, of a rebellion, you know, look at Roberts, but just here with them. So it had to be very impactful for these characters. So I think it does a great job of illustrating that. And I would also argue that his chapters are not necessarily for him. Yeah. Like, who, who Victorian is, to me, has never mattered, but his chapters provide context to all of these characters. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not nice. But it provides context to all of these characters that are surrounding him, 
right? Uh, it's world building, it's lore, it's showing you the culture and kind of that toxicity in the old culture in the Iron Islands and what needs to die and putting them against Ash's chapters, which yeah. we've already done. That makes it really interesting, right? Where her chapters are all about changing that new leaf over and that guard over. So I'm excited to kind of regress here politically, culturally, <laughs> mentally, emotionally with Victorian and kind of understand how he ticks and how the other men of his culture that are prideful and afraid tick. Yeah, I think that's a great explanation. As you're saying, like, I, every time we do one of these POVs, even if I come into it not really having that many expectations, I think I, the journey of reading it this way, but also the journey of reading it together with you, um, I find something to get out of it. And so I'm hoping to find something like that. Uh, as we read through this time, and also you know, because I don't, I don't want like people to not feel excited about Tyrion chapters, and like we're going to, we're going to look at them, right? We're going to dive deep into them as we do with every POV. Uh, as you all know, we put our whole asswa fussy into. Uh... Oh my god. <laughs> I did that just to get a reaction out of you into every one of these POVs. But yeah, I, as you said, there's like a lot of world building and context setting that comes through the Victorian chapters. And you and I were discussing this a little before recording. It, it made me realize. So way back in the day, and by that I mean it really was way back in the day. It was like the aughts, now that I think about it, which are back. A Dance with Dragons was one one singular book and it was going to follow directly after a storm of swords and have that five-year gap as i'm sure all of you know and george's solution for that five-year gap was essentially his own lightning round um you know you're welcome george for our idea where he was going to have this like really long i don't know 20 or 30 page intro prologue where he describes basically everything that's happened during those five years since the end of the events in a storm of swords and a lot of that context setting for especially the situation in dorne after the death of the red viper and and in the iron islands etc with balon's death too so that um you know we could pick up where we are and i think that um it sounds like a lot of that context setting was repurposed perhaps into these Victorian chapters because you do have I think much more exciting stuff going on like in the Asha chapters and even in the Aaron chapters which we didn't know until the sample chapter right but like some people kind of knew like I don't know that guy you live with like kind of had an idea <laughs> um but but the Asha chapters, right? There's like there's a character there to be connected to. But Victorian, it just felt like a lot of world building and a lot of misery in a way that for me, I kind of had in the past felt that these chapters were they were kind of boring. I mean, there's there's a lot there's like as people have pointed out, some of our patrons right have pointed out, there's like a lot of sexual violence in them. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of sexual violence in a lot of the other chapters as well. But like he's a character that is kind of defined by that in a different way. Yeah, I think overall that huge exploration of that toxicity of what it means to be a man from the Iron Islands and what it means to fulfill that role is such a focus in this chapter alone, right? Like on rereading this chapter, what comes to me the most is the culture there and is what Victorian is trying to live up to even when the residents of the Iron Islands are yelling in his face, this is no longer the problem. Yeah, and I would argue that it's not even just the Iron Islands, right? To an extent, yes. his mentality is 
probably much more similar to the mentality of a lot of men in Westeros than mm -hmm. than we know or see. We just have a lot of POVs from people who like have a little more complexity and and who tend to have a little more sympathy or empathy for others because of whatever they've experienced. Interestingly, it's like a if Robert Baratheon had an older brother almost <laughs> or another brother. Like if we could just shuffle around the Baratheon brothers like cuz imagine Robert Baratheon trying to live up to his older brother or something like this. Like, but imagine how simplistically stupid and aggressive his POV would be. This is kind of like a Randall Tarly POV. Yeah, it's why we don't have these POVs, honestly, it is moreover what I was thinking by mm. trying to parse this out, apparently. Uh, I think we don't have these POV. Like, I mean, a lot of people find this POV for Victorian a little boring. And maybe not boring, that, maybe yeah. that's not the word, but off-putting, you know? And that's why these POVs aren't laden through the story, but you still need it You still need it to make it tick, I get that. It's interesting to think of him as kind of like the control. Like, you, you have a scientific experiment, right? Maybe he's the baseline and all of our other POVs are, are not. I don't know. There, there is a lot of history that comes through in his chapters and that leads up to the place where Victorian is now and the Iron Islands are now, so... I mean, we have our own lightning round, which again, George, you're welcome. You're welcome to it. Yeah, I think the one saving grace for this chapter, something that does interest me is that rich history, that little bit of context we're going to get from the Greyjoy Rebellion that informs some of these characters and illustrates their motives and all of that good punchy fun stuff. So without further ado, this <laughs> lightning round is going to have a different type of storm in it. Uh, we're going to start it with Storm's King, Robert Baratheon and his rebellion, and then we're going to move on to a different kind of king, Balin Greyjoy and his rebellion of 289 AC. So we pop that off a little before with Quellyn Greyjoy, who was the father of nine sons, Harlan, Quentin, Donnell, Balin, Urin, Victarion, Uragon, and Aaron. Balin, Urin, and Victarion and Aaron all survive to adulthood while the rest die in childhood for various reasons. Spoiler, TBA, more to come on that. Yes. Quellen, their father, died in battle at the Mander, attacking the Reach and rising in support of Robert during his rebellion. Quote-unquote. Quellen's eldest son, Balin, sought independence for the Ironborn, who didn't suffer losses like most of the great houses of Robert's rebellion since they joined at the end. He constructs a fleet of 100 war galleys, the Iron Fleet. Balon decides that Robert's reign is fallible and that he would not be able to take action against the Ironborn. And Roger Carlyle tells Balon this is a bad plan, trademark, but Balon says we're doing it anyway. <laughs> Six years after the end-ish of House Targaryen, asterisk, 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 Balon is crowned king beneath Naga's ribs with a stylish piece of driftwood and the Greyjoy Rebellion begins. In an attempt to control the Sunset Sea, the Lannister fleet is burnt at anchor, and the plan is constructed by Euron and carried out by Victorian. This lets Balin attack Seaguard in the Riverlands, but his son Roderick perishes in the battle by sexy daddy Jason Mouser. Maybe it should be Zaddy because this is the description essentially by Catelyn Stark, and the Ironborn are thrown back in defeat. Robert crushes the rebellion eventually, with Stannis joining the Redwine fleet and the Old Town ships. Victarion's ships, however, are smashed in the Fair Isle Straits, where Aaron is captured and made to spend war beneath Casterly Rock. 
Tywin, Eddard, and Robert come down upon them with Stannis subduing Great Wick for Robert and Barristan Selmy attacking Old Wick. The final battle takes place on Pike, led by Robert and Eddard, destroying the Botley Castle and Lordsport. They attack with siege engines, and Balin's second son, Marin, is killed in the breach, led by Thoros of Myr and his Sword of Fire. Jorah Morma and Jocelyn Bywater, who loses a hand in the battle, are knighted for their bravery, and Balin's last surviving son, Theon, is taken as a hostage to the north, like other Ironborn children taken hostage for good behaviors. Hmm, we're gonna see one today which I learned last time around. Uh, the rebellion simply reinforces Robert's new rule in the end, and the Iron Islands are thrown into a little disarray in a much weaker rule, NBD. Yeah, oops. This, of course, puts us into the present day, where Theon has grown up at Winterfell, rebelling at the wolf and the squid that fight inside of him, and in turn, he now has been captured by the Bastard of Bolton. Asha was in turn raised as... Girl in the house and Balin's heir. Aaron had a religious awakening between the rebellion and today, dedicating himself to the drowned god. Then we have Euron, who has been exiled by Balon for raping for raping and impregnating Victorian's salt wife, whom Victorian then kills to retain his honor. <sighs> and of course Euron shows up for the first time, basically right after Balin mysteriously dies. Shit seems like it's about to get real. Oh, and yes, Balin is dead. And that's the present day. That's what you missed on Glee. <laughs> Glee. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is, there are some songs that could show up every now and then. Um, Victorian Greyjoy takes the campaign trail, and the trail is rough and tumble, especially when the competition is kept all in the family. His niece is the third party pick, his evil demon brother is some sort of evangelist turned possessed Christmas freak, and he's the guy keeping up with the old way. Will they make the Iron Islands great again? Who the fuck is to say? Who really is to say, right? Uh, it, it seems kind of caricature of them all, right, to, to think of it in these aspects, but I don't know who I'd vote for. You know, I just don't know. I think I know who I would vote for out of all of these people. I yeah, really it's do. <laughs> it's, it's Asha. The chapter begins with the Iron Victory, coming into Naga's Cradle, a holy bay where the ribs of Naga rise on the hill above it at Old Wick, the bones of the Great King's Hall, full of magic. There's a line describing the trees that they rose from the earth like the trunks of great white trees. I kind of love the language of Naga's bones and the trees and the land around it and that magical mystic kind of look at it. And even that language for the weirwood, trunks of great white trees. You could just say white tree, but we know what giant white tree usually is thought about in Westeros, right? And it comes back to a little bit of ironborn lore that sticks out to me here as well, that the demon tree Ig had pale wood and fed on human flesh. We learned that from the world of ice and fire, and that the Grey King also taught men to weave nets and sails and carve the first longship from the hard pale wood of Yig. It feels very much so, similar to a weirwood, right? A demon tree feeding on flesh. And also a reference to Yggdrasil in Old Norse mythology, the Norse tree of life, the geographical center of the spiritual cosmos for the Norse. The Grey King had carved that ship, so that feels very symbolic since the Ironborn are very focused on making their great journeys across the sea and with the sea. And it definitely stands out as 
some sort of cross-culture of this mysticism between the North and the Ironborn, especially when we think about Asha's chapters, where Alisane and Asha realize their cultures are really not quite so different, just one of them subdued the other. We'll learn more about Naga someday from Eren, right, in the far, far future, but Naga had been the first sea dragon, the mightiest ever to rise from the waves, we hear. And then later we hear more lore that... The storm god had drowned Naga's fire after the Grey King's death. The chairs and tapestries had been stolen, the roof and the walls rotted away. Even the Grey King's great throne of fangs had been swallowed by the sea. Only Naga's bones endured to remind the Ironborn of all the wonder that had been. It's funny because the Targaryens are put down, but here the Greyjoys have their own great wonders of sea dragons, right, and lore and Naga's bones upon the hill. It reads across all of these different cultures, and honestly, putting it on paper, this seems very fire and ice, right? Like, Naga's living fire had warmed the Grey King's halls, and he made Naga his thrall. Uh, it's almost a love story between the Grey King and Naga, this immense power, and reminds me a little bit of Azor High and Nisa Nisa in some ways, and some of the other little legends and storytelling moments we've had. I thought you were going to say with the thrall stuff and the romance of it, it reminds you a little of a... Elena, you know, the the, the storm, storm King, daughter, the storm daughter, storm yeah. god daughter kidnapped stuff at Storm's End because there's something going on there with the relationship. But yeah, it is fire and icy. When you combine the two, you get water, which is a lot of what goes on here at the Iron Islands. And you were talking about Yggdrasil and those Norse roots. Naga also comes from another real world legend or legends right the naga uh is like these serpent deities sometimes they're like half human half serpent but like often they're just very much associated with snakes from south asia and southeast asian lore and features prominently in a couple of religions like in hinduism and buddhism and jainism i'm not as familiar with how the naga uh appears in Jainism, but off the top of my head, I do remember a legend in which, you know, if you've ever seen any of the statues of the Buddha that looks like a peacock around him, it is not a peacock. In fact, it is a Naga uh, that protects the Buddha during like one of these stories of um, the Buddha's like meditating during a storm. So there's like a lot of connection there. And like Nagas are seen as like these protector figures because of that in some of these stories. I love that. Okay. And especially the the serpent-like quality and, of course, the kraken. They do have some similarities, right, in in that they have all these legs. I guess one has one, no legs. And one has several. That's the duality. Snake-like legs. (laughs) Of creatures. (laughs) Victorian remembers when Balin was crowned on those bones. And Newt the barber, named for his axe throwing, which was Hmm. a close shave. You know, shave someone's face. I love that. Uh... Not like the, like, yeah, I guess not unlike the barber of Fleet Street there, right? Uh, Newt the barber tells him they will shout his name too. Victorian nods but doesn't agree. Balin's sons and his beloved daughter come first. At Moat Kalen, his captains had all argued Balin's sons are dead. Asha's merely a woman. He was his brother's strong right arm. He must pick up the sword he let fall. There's something in this that makes me think about Stannis and how it must have been at his councils after Robert first was gone and when he went back to Dragonstone and all of his men being like, well, you know, you have to avenge your brother and uh, please, those children, they aren't real. They aren't Robert's children. You're the true king, Stannis. 
Something about those political agendas. You know, something's in there. Maybe yeah. this is what it looked like. People maybe. blowing smoke up his ass over in Dragonstone, for sure, right? And he's like, I don't know, maybe. And then, yeah, with Victorian, he's like, yeah, I don't know, that weird kid. No one even knows where he is or what's happening to him. And the other <laughs> one's just a girl who gives a shit. Just a girl. Yeah, I know She's how that is. As just a girl. Yeah, yeah, I'm also just a girl and it nothing to write home about. <laughs> Interesting that he's his brother's strong right arm, and then what happens to his left arm, his left hand, volcano arm, right? He becomes a magma being. Uh, unlike Jamie, he doesn't lose the hand that gets business done for him, though, right? He, he loses his left hand. And that said, it does feel parallel, right? We have all of these um, handy moments here handy. with Jamie. Handy. And John, right? John has his hand pretty pretty fucked up and hurt. Catelyn also fucked her hand up on the cat's paw dagger, so lots of focus on hands. Yeah. And hands and hands. And hands. George is doing something here. He's doing something with this motif of hands, but I don't think we'll have like a fully like realized argument of what it is till, you know. All the books are out. Uh much later. <laughs> Sometimes you kinda need like most of the story to see you know what the argument is of it but anyways uh so like fire and blood part two fire and blood part three duncan egg i don't four five six seven and then of course the last five books of the series i can't deal with this (laughs) sorry (laughs) it's just like how victorian victorian cannot deal with the fact that he's like hmm yeah I'm uh, my brother's strong right arm, but I cannot understand what you mean by what is this role of a hand when Asha proposes it. He's like, I don't think I can wrap my head around that. (laughs) Yeah, it's like he understands it, but he doesn't see value in it in their culture and where it could help him because he thinks that they're so different from all other men. Yeah, and I think that's like the key part, the men, and he's also like... Well, well, for them, I guess the, the strong right arm part is mostly kind of a military leader. Versus mm-hmm. how Asha's like, you know, what if we actually like thought things through politically? Yeah. And he's like, I don't know that about that. A... <laughs> Not a bad point. So then we have, they, you know, these people telling Victorian, I mean, the crow's eye doesn't even know their ways. Like, there's no way he could come home suddenly and take the crown. Not at all. Sending everyone running for their lives. Yeah, that memory of his brother stealing things he covets brings such an old rage into his heart. You can see that, and it starts from the very front of this chapter, and he thinks, Euron was his elder, no matter the bad blood by Taylor Swift between them. No man is as accursed as the Kinslayer. Yeah, exactly. Right from the start, you're seeing that this guy hates his brother enough to want him dead, which is really interesting, right? Because somehow Euron gets elected, but also it seems like no one from this family likes him at all. Except for Job. I don't care for Job. (laughs) I don't care much for Job. Uh, Yeah, but... Yeah, he's a motherfucker. Euron's evil. Oh my god, wait a second, though. Job from Arrested Development, put an eye patch on him in your head. Oh my god. And look at his maniacal smile. Also, Mm -hmm. you know, like a dark Dark wizard. wizard. (laughs) Yeah. Dampere's summons for the king's moot came, and they had changed everything. Aaron speaks with the drowned god's voice. If they say he must sit at the sea so, if they say he must sit the sea stone chair, well, Victorian must go. He had given Ralph Kenning command at Moat Kalin and set off for the Iron Fleet. Oop, oop, oop. Yeah, I, I think I know you're going to talk about this more later, but what we're seeing here is 
the setting up of like the weaknesses, right, of the Ironborn's war strategy and and how they're overlooking things for northern ploys because we see a little later on they got I mean a little too cocky right they're like mm, we got this we got Mo Kalen and ignore all of Asha's warnings about the Northmen and she's like there are still Northmen out there you know like they're still doing things like I'm telling you from firsthand experience first axe experience yeah uh, there's even something in there a bit right like very Stannisy itself now that you mentioned the North and Stannis kind of in the north right now, right? But there's also something like Stannisy in that Aaron speaks with the drowned god's voice. And if he says, I must sit the sea stone chair, then I must be god. I must be Azor High. Come again. Um, Melisandre speaking through R'hllor. You know, in the beginning, Stannis doesn't really go for it. But now, it slowly becomes kind of a defense, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But, uh, you know, they give up pretty fast. Every time you say Stanisy, though, I hear, like, Stanusy. Stanusy! He's putting his Stanusy into the war. It's all Stanusy. I have to leave. I have to leave this planet. <laughs> Grief and Iron Vengeance, the ships were close behind as Iron Victory passed the headland with Hard Hand, Iron Wind, Grey Ghost, Lord Quellon, Lord Vicken. Lord Dagon and the rest, about nine-tenths of the fleet, sailing on the evening tide. This is a big sign of legitimacy for Victarion, right? For for coming home with all of his big ships saying, I have the Iron Islands pride and joy behind me. Someone fight me. Yeah, and someone does. <laughs> and wins. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess not, you know, basically. Only, yeah, only other kinds of fighting. We have this line of the sight of their sails filled Victorian Greyjoy with content. No man had ever loved his wives half as well as the Lord Captain loved his ships. And I'm like, okay, so that means he just does not love his wives as much as his ships, which okay, okay, I see. And old Certainly Wick- doesn't respect them. <laughs> nope. Oldwick is lined with all sorts of ships with some familiar banners. Newt and Roderick's by Lord Harlaw's Seasong, Old Drum's Thunderer, Black Tide's Nightflyer, Silverin. Silverfin, Sawain Botley's family, and more. I like the name Sawain. And also, this Night Flyer ship, I think that's a reference to George's Night Flyers. I think it's a novella, which is supposed to be a space horror and has been adapted now into, I think, a mini series. So I have not consumed it, but if any of you want to get into Night Flyers, there are many ways for you to enjoy it, both written and watched. I don't know if it sounds like my kind of show, but it certainly sounds kind of cool. Yeah. It's kind of a cool description. I forgot okay. like the reception to the show, but it exists. Hey, if you're into that, though, check it out. Let us know what you think. I would love to hear about it, honestly, because I just don't know if it's for me, but it sounds interesting. Yeah. Victorian remembers, by the way, oh, you're on Drowned Lord Botley and thinks, wait, his heir also died at Moat Kalen. He wonders how many brothers and sons there are and if any of them had cause to ride for Euron, which I think is a great thing to point out considering we've had lots of, you know, usurping the brother and trying to kill the brother and and betting to get your chips in the air. Interesting little political thought there, right? Like, hmm, do any of them have cause to be with Euron? Like, ah, you killed my father. Thank God. Now I'm God. Yeah, I don't know. That could work on some of them, though, to be honest. Some of these people, you know. They are weak-willed. He also then, uh, but also he underestimates Asha, because that's the mm. biggest part. Triss goes to her. Yeah, that's true. That's underestimates true. the pull of Asha. 
And then he saw her, a single-masted galley, lean and low with a dark red hole. Her sails, now furled, were black as a starless sky. Even at anchor, silence looked both cruel and fast. On her prow was a black iron maiden with one arm outstretched. Her waist was slender, her breasts high and proud, her legs long and shapely. A wind-blown mane of black iron hair streamed from her head, and her eyes were mother of pearl, but she had no mouth. Victorian's hands closed into fists. He had beaten four men to death with those hands and one wife as well. Though his hair was flecked with hoarfrost, he was as strong as he had ever been, with a bull's broad chest and a boy's flat belly. The kinslayer is accursed in the eyes of gods and men, Balin had reminded him on the day he sent the crow's eye off to sea. Lots to break down from the ogling of his brother's ship, and of course from the trauma from his brother, from Balin, but I have to stop and say, here you have the reference of the Iron Maiden, you know, like Iron Maiden the band on the ship, and then in a moment we're going to get Motley Crue. I get it. I get it, George. You're on Love's Metal. Yeah, I didn't catch any of those, so I'm glad that you did. And George, I, yes, Euron is incredibly very metal, except for the parts where he likes silence, so it's very interesting. <laughs> but also, George is just having fun with this chapter and throwing in his little references. Oh, yeah. I think he had a lot of fun with this chapter. I think you kind of have to if you're going to be in Victorian's mind this long. <laughs> That's true. It's kind of an empty play place, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He commands Newt the barber to drop the sail and row inward, and have grief and iron vengeance block silence in. The rest of the fleet will seal the bay with no one leaving without his command. No man, no crow. Other ships begin to call out hellos to Victorian and his crew, except for silence, where he sees a motley crew. He thinks mutes and mongrels, men black as tar, and then compares these men to uh, apes from Sotheros and other animals and calls them monsters. Victorian. No. It's a no. It's, it's a big no. Like, I don't, he, he's just, like, not a good dude, you know? <laughs> like, this is, this is so weird of him and that he, he looks... Shouldn't he be, like, kind of well-traveled? Like... Why is he so xenophobic and racist all the time? Like, you'd think he's seen and met people on his traverses. I Yeah, you would think that, but it doesn't seem so. I guess he's just, like, also very antisocial. Does he just, like, kill them all? I don't know. And I just think it's it's so weird and messed up that he thinks of them that way because, as we've discussed for Bran's chapters, right? Like, for example, in The Night Fort, Bran's thinking of all these monster stories, and turns out in that story, Bran is the monster. And I think we're going to find out pretty early on within this very chapter that Victorian is very much actually a monster. And I just think it's so strange that when he looks at Euron's crew, just because they look different, he thinks of them as the monsters and not Euron, who is the one who is actually kidnapping and mutilating these crewmen that Victorian's judging. Like, Euron's the actual monster here. Like it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward that these people are kind of victims of Euron. And there's something I never really thought about exploring until now. But you know, you have those with the tongues cut out, silenced, and it makes me think back to the brand chapters we just came from, right? And the singers, 
the singers that are silenced themselves in this cave where no one hears their songs mm. except for Blood Raven. And um, it definitely seems like some sort of little perversion, right, of Blood Raven and his caves with his singers, and that Euron now has singers that can't sing. Yeah, he does. And also, I, I mean, you think of what Illyrio and Varys are doing, of course. Yep. I was thinking also of Varys and his little birds. They can't sing either. No, they just cut these people. In. And I guess ill and pain, now that I think about it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, all these people losing their voice. For somebody that's so metal, so hardcore, <laughs> Victorian dresses with a, a shit ton of swag. I've got to capture the swag for you all. He dresses up for the shore. Not the Jersey Shore. That's impossible. A different shore. Uh, he's wearing he his sword belt. He could. He's wearing a sword belt and his Lord Captain's cloak, which is nine layers of cloth of gold sewn in the shape of a kraken, arms rippling down to his boots, heavy chainmail over black boiled leather, and a tall dark warhelm in the shape of an iron kraken. So of these different returning home POVs we've had for the Ironborn, for Victorian, he's not really unlike Theon in that need to prove himself. Everything he has is wrought in krakens and paid for by blood to prove himself as this like headstone of the Ironborn culture. And it's truly fascinating, right, that he's caring so much to resemble and look the part of the kraken. Mm-hmm. In a way, he kind of makes me think of like if Theon hadn't been taken to the north and instead was allowed, yet not even allowed, enabled, told actively to pursue Ironborn culture to its fullest, this is what he'd become, right? Uh, worse than just the sex past he already is, he would be sexist, abusive, racist. His behavior would go unchecked. He would negate everything in terms of whatever he had morally because he wants to be adored and worshipped by his peers. And that's who Victorians kind of become. Mm, mm. I think that's really great that you've likened them to one another because that's true. They, they do wish to be adored. They kind of want to be seen... And, and acknowledge Theon especially so because of the way that he's grown up. And it, it really brings up those questions that's in this story of nature versus nurture. Of, you know, to what extent do the people around you affect who you are? What's innate about you? And there, there's also like this aspect of, I, I like how you're talking about them returning home. Because for Victorian especially, because a lot of people are coming home right now, right? It It's a homecoming, right? It's kind of like if you decided that homecoming weekend was also for some reason your town's election, uh, that that's what this is. And your Victorian's like the high school like football hero and everyone's super happy and like congratulating him, love to see him. and. But he's also kind of like a meathead, which is again not true. Not again, which is not true of every person who returns home for homecoming, and not true of every football player. There are some very nice football players that I have met in my life. Yeah, not not professionally. They they did not stay in that path because not everyone can become a millionaire NFL player, but Victorian could. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to look at him as like the washed up sports hero. Literally washed up. Here he is. Yeah, who embodies toxic masculinity. Yeah. Oh my god, I dated a Victorian. Not all, again, not all of them. Not all of them are like that. Some of them are no. really nice. 
Yeah, that's a great way to kind of think about him, just placing him as that washed-up football stud. I get it. Literally washed up? Literally washed because, up, yes, that's what I was going for. Because there's water? Because what is dead may never die. Uh, yeah, also that too. That, that too. Dunk, 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 <laughs> dunk, dunk, dunk. Dunk. <laughs> giving him lunk. a swirly. Oh my god. Is, this, is that why Aaron became a drowned priest? Because it was the only way to give his brothers swirlies? Uh, well, I mean, first he got the ultimate swirly from God. Apparently. No, that's literally what happened. He went to the bottom of the ocean, allegedly. And now he's got to pay it back. Ten swirly fold. Victorian had worn lots of chainmail at Moat Kaelin, preferring it because he didn't want to be stabbed in the stomach by the poisoned bog devil arrows. Glossing over his brazenly racist term for uh, the, the people of the neck. He vows to take care of the bog devils no matter who sits the sea stone chair. That's nuts. So if he came back from the east, he would straight up abandon everything just to, just to take out the people of the neck. All right, Victorian. It's fucked up. I thought that was kind of cool and interesting because like, we had not yet seen the other Kranig men doing anything yet in this story. So this is kind of our first word of that happening. Yeah, a show of their guerrilla warfare, only, like, somewhat on the screen. Behind the screen, but there. Yeah, off-page, but happening. (laughs) Yeah, someone who's seen it. So the boat is ready to take him to shore, and he charges Newt with the protection of his treasure chest, and Newt says, As you command your grace, to which he responds, I am no king as yet. Yet. Aaron greets him, gaunt and tall, with tangled ropes of hair and beard, waves breaking around him. He greets his brother with, what is dead can never die. And Victorian responds, but rises again, harder and stronger. This is like worst Daft Punk. Um, He kneels to receive the sacrament of salt water from Aaron and the ocean, and then asks after their brother, the crow's eye. There's almost like a soft, tender moment, I feel like, here between them, where Aaron is blessing his brother and welcoming him, and both of them kind of quietly are exchanging a have you seen our awful brother Euron who's terrorized us and tormented us our entire life it feels like a small but significant exchange with them yeah there's I think a lot of love within this family for each other for the brothers that are not Euron it seems like Mm -hmm. they really liked each other if they were not Euron because I think we all know what what the deal is with Euron. Uh, we are also sorry, very much spoiling to an extent and hinting at things that are in the Forsaken. Spoilers to you, Al. It's a little late. Mm-hmm. My bad. Uh, and and speaking of which, like I, I'm not sure that Victorian knows what happened to Aaron. Like I think that Balin knows what happened to Aaron, but not Victorian. I I don't seem as like being very. Uh, perceptive and also mm-hmm. i i could see maybe aaron would be too ashamed for anyone else to know and for victorian to know because he'd be worried that victorian would see him as like less of a man and respect him less for knowing that like aaron was sexually abused i guess for me i think that there's kind of a cornerstone of the entire topic that makes me think he knows to an extent that he at least suspects, mm, if not knows. Yeah. And why I think that is because he knows that Euron seems to be capable of worse. Hmm. We also know that Euron obviously tormented Victorian in a different way. It was a different form of control and torture. We see that he practically cucks Victorian, knowing that Victorian 
can't really emotionally handle things in a different way, right? Like, he finds a different way to torture Victarion than what he did to Aaron and maybe to other brothers, which we might go into someday. And finally, I think uh, another big part of that is the, the toxic masculinity that Victarion oozes, right? That is just coming out of his pores. He perhaps saw that he had to be something else in order to survive Euron, but yet Euron still found a way to ruin him as well. And then the displacement, right? Like that Euron is able to ruin his life over something in his mind, uh, but instead of being fucking mad at Euron, he actually... There, there, I would even argue there's a little bit of tension with him and Balin mm. because he thinks throughout this entire chapter, even a little resentment that Balin told him no man is a, as accursed as the Kinslayer, which implies Victorian was ready to fucking kill Euron. He was like, let me kill him. You have to do something about what he did. Like that is, you know, pretty fucked up that he rapes his wife and impregnates her and Balin sends him away into exile to go do what he's good at, reaving in the east and find all these exotic things and start a new life, whether it's easy or not. That's like Victorian's dream, right? Is to go reaving and lead his captains of ships and kings. So in a way, probably felt like Euron was getting off with no nothing, right? It felt like Balin maybe wasn't upholding justice for Victorian. Yeah, he probably suspects something happened to Eren, which, again, I guess Balin didn't really do anything about that. Like, obviously, it was like, keep that man at an arm's length. But as you said, right, he didn't really do anything when Euron, mm -hmm. I guess, you know, not not that this is all I think it was, but like, you know, but this is how the Ironborn would perceive it as like just disrespecting Victorian, right? Or something yeah. like that. And it is a big slight. And you're right, like, he kind of does get off... Scott Free, like, I mean, he's exiled, but also, I mean, Euron doesn't really give a shit if he doesn't see people on the Iron Islands or his family. He cares about power, and that's why he's back here, and it's only kind of made mm -hmm. his mystique even more powerful, but most of all, what you're saying of, like, he's, like, why didn't you do anything? Like, that is Balon's job as a leader of his mm -hmm. people to to enforce the law and act justice. And we see like it isn't out of the realm of possibility for someone to do that against their family members. We see it a lot with the Targaryens. Mm -hmm. We, uh, you know, or like even Egg being like, I gotta do something about, gotta do something about my uncle or cousin several X number of times removed who <laughs> is, was my hand maybe and also uh, killed someone. That was also my family member that we also have to bring to justice because of the treason. And they tried to overthrow my family, so. Yeah, there's something, uh, there's even something like Clegane about it, right? How Sandor mm. was made to have his face pressed into the fire and then his brother was knighted and given different oils than he had and was enabled and encouraged to continue his lifestyle. Yeah, you exactly. Know, there's, there's something Clegane-y about it, and now he's a monster. And it's that question of, like, could you or should you? Do you enforce the law in that same way? Like, you're supposed to against your family members, but it's like, you know, ex for example, John wondering, like, I mean, Rob wouldn't kill me for deserting Woody. Woody? <laughs> well, if Woody? I came to join his his cause, Woody? But it's like, I don't, I don't know. Thankfully, we never had to answer that question, but... Or now that I think about it, if Bran is king, you know, you've brought up him versus John, 
right? Mm-hmm. And Having the great crime him. of regicide slash intimate partner violence, if that is what happens. Yeah, not a definitely something to think about in comparison to Victorian's chapters. And, you know, it comes to that similar when you're bringing up Egg, it reminds me of Viserys 1 and Damon, right? Or Oberyn Ooh, yeah. and Doran, yeah. you know, some of these great brother duos and Balin was definitely besides the whole deciding to rebel thing because he thought it was smart and opportune got in uh, you know this has happened to me doing war in ck2 and ck3 before so i totally get it okay i thought you were gonna say like in real life it was like when when did chloe do a treason (sighs) shit happens aliana shit happens but you know sometimes you just think that you have it handled and you have enough manpower and then you realize at the worst time when there's no way out (laughs) that it was the very bad choice Besides that little hiccup, Balin was, you know, the even-keeled, tempered kind of ruler. He does seem so, and he does seem like he was respected by his brothers, right? Because like mm-hmm. we see that. So coming back, Euron is surrounded by godless men and monsters. Allegedly, he's hosting them from a tent, a cloth, a gold, disappointing the house per usual. I don't know. Other people don't seem disappointed. And then you have this line of Victorian would not speak of kinslaying here in this godly place beneath the bones of Naga in the Grey King's Hall. But many a night he dreamed of driving a mailed fist into Euron's smiling face until the flesh split and his bad blood run red and free. I must not. I pledged my word to Balon. And on one hand, yes, like I absolutely agree with what you were saying of like he has that sort of resentment of Balin not enacting justice, but there's also, I think, an element of which the younger brothers do still see Balin as somewhat protecting them, right? He's kind of the red, he's kind of the Rob Stark of his brothers, uh, Mm. and also ends up kind of standing against his own family members, right? There's this brother against brother thing going on, especially amongst this generation of Greyjoys, which repeats throughout A Song of Ice and Fire with, like, the the dance and, Mm -hmm. and the Black Fire Rebellion. And that's happening in this house, but in a less visible way. Yeah, uh, I like, too, that his memory is standing for that in a way. I love that you've compared it to Rob. And I think it even comes back to a little, a, a, a lot of Stark kind of feelings, right? The, mm. the memory being the thing that, you know, Ned held this house together and Rob <sighs> held this house together. And there's also this line in here of Euron's hosting everyone under his cloth of gold tent. Yeah, actually, yeah. And I love that it's one-upping Victorian. All he has is a cloth of gold cloak. Euron has a tent. Yeah, it's interesting that people don't see that as, like... Too gaudy. Austin Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because I guess, I don't know, Iron Price shit, but whatever. But no one sees through his veneer is the problem with Euron, too, you know? Yeah. Beneath the gold, the bitter steel, though, if you think about it. Oh, there you go. Anyone who was anyone on the Iron Islands had come to see the sea stone chair claimed the captains and the kings. On the Iron Islands, they were one and the same, for every girl was a queen and every queen was a girl, Anakin. I mean, every <laughs> captain was a king on his own deck, and every king must be a captain. Ombre de la casa. Uh, with Bran and some of the other POVs we've discussed, and, and including in our last episode, how almost none of the POVs that we get are people who hold that societal power in westeros right or at least they're not the default they're not like those first sons everyone's supposed to inherit it all and granted george did think that rob maybe should have been a pov but anyways so ned 
Ned is a second son, right? Like it, but he is a lord, and I think the closest that we have to the default of power in that way in Westeros society is Jaime, but he has pledged to serve, and then also nobody likes him except for, I don't know, his direct family members because he's seen as very dishonorable by the rest of his society, and then his story transforms into more of this exploration of balancing masculine ideals with his emasculated body, as seen by Westeros, when he is disabled. So I think that Victorian is actually the closest we get to a POV that has the default of power, like sure, he's a second or third or I don't know, if we bring all the other folks back to life further down the line, son. But with the way that Ironborn culture is structured, he holds all of that power, especially when he's on a ship. Yeah, it's a... It is the most, like, man's man place for him. Not, like, to be that person, but it's, like, his meat, his steak and potato kind of place. This is his safe spot, you know? He's like, I feel me on the sea commanding a bunch of dudes to do what I want him to do, all for us to get from this point A to point B. I, I even wonder if there's a little resentment, you know, that Euron was put into exile to do everything that Victorian's good at, and Victorian had to just be subservient, obedient to Balin's whims. I think I think so, but also I don't know that you're not. You're, I don't know that Victorian thought about it that much. Maybe until yeah recently, because I don't Probably think he's was a like a traumatized. Yeah, I think the trauma from the bad thing that he actually did, uh, as well as the he he just doesn't seem like a wants to make those big decisions kind of guy, you know. <laughs> He's not really into navel gazing about his choices. <laughs> Only naval, like navy. Ah, gazing. naval gazing. Oh. 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 Victorian says he plans to claim their father's crown if the drowned god wills it, and Aaron tells him to listen to the waves, that he will speak through them. This line is great. It's a great mirror to a Ned quote, a famous Ned quote. He wondered how his name would sound whispered by waves and shouted by the captains and the kings. If the cup should pass to me, I will not set it by. As a reminder, you know, that cup has to do with, like, Ned inheriting Winterfell, etc. Just because, you know, it was supposed to go to Brandon. He keeps saying, like, the cup was for Brandon and shit like that. And it's hearkening back to the usage of cup in the Bible in which Jesus is praying um, in the garden of like, before he's, before he's captured, etc. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done because he's asking to not be crucified and sacrificed and is like, like, seriously, if we have other solutions, I think we should go with those and not the one where I get tortured and then die. And I think that's important because cup then becomes this, this, it's a responsibility, right? It's a burden. It's it's painful with the risk of death. And Ned understands that that's what the cup is. But Victorian doesn't, right? When he thinks of the cup passing to him, he only imagines the fanfare and people whispering his name and shouting it and none of the actual work. Yeah, and there's something even more interesting about how it doesn't pass like that, right? Usually, like if it was just a normal lordship in feudal Westeros society, he's the lord of Pike, right? Uh -huh. However, Balin fucked that up. Balin straight up fucked that up for him with his whole king shit, and now everyone wants them as a king, 
right? The last idea before Balin was gone was we are going to carve out our goddamn kingdom against the North. And that's what everybody either wants or, as we're about to see, does not want. Uh, you don't just get the cup. The cup doesn't just come to you. You should earn it, right? Yeah. In the Ironborn culture, that's what they see it as. And here he is thinking, ah, if the cup passes to me, I will not set it by. I won't let it just stand there. I will drink from it and I will fucking fuck them all up. Yeah, and it does kind of seem like he was setting up Asha as heir and people mm -hmm. were like, I don't think women should get cups, you know. Only B cups and C cup. No, I'm joking. But <laughs> it does have a lot of Dance of the Dragon vibes going on. There's a little bit yeah. of Asha being the Rhaenyra and being able and wanting to, and even being smart enough in this chapter to see like it shouldn't be her. Yeah. And I think the series at least like had people pledge to Rhaenyra, but I think Balin thought he had more time mm -hmm. to figure yeah, that out. I would say so. He, he wasn't even the one going out there doing the reaving during his war campaign, mm -hmm. right? Like he was he was at home doing the strategizing. Managing. So which is important. And so yeah. I yeah, I think he thought he had a lot more time and not that, you know, Rando Faceless Man was gonna show up on a bridge and shove him off. But you know, could happen to anyone. It could happen to me. You should be nicer to me. Why? Do you it think could happen to me. It could happen to you. It could happen what to you. What do you mean? I was like, is what someone going to say? Well, I was like, is someone trying to kill you and shove you off like a bridge? I don't know. Is are something you? happening? Yeah. I was like, are you implying it's me? Are you get, accusing me? To get free of accused? the podcast. <laughs> That's a pretty big one. Men had come to seek Victarion's favor and wish him well. The Black Tides, Tawnies, Orkwoods, Stone Trees, Winches, Good Brothers of Old and Great Wick, and Orkmont as well. These are some Lord of the Rings-ass names. <laughs> and some, like, uh, what's his nuts? And stepbrothers. And some H.P. Lovecraft oh. names. And stepbrother names. But I must say, I did get to chapter four of those books. Thought you'd be really impressed oh, you're on making, chapter four. You're making progress. I am proud of you. I am proud Thank of you. you. The cods were there, though every decent man despised them. What a line. I thought, true. I thought it was so funny that they included this line and him thinking it, and then also how later on Asha literally says it, but she's like, and though every woman despises you, like, she says it to the cod's face, and I don't That's know, right. people, people just really do not like the cods. <laughs> They're like the McPoyles, I guess, of Westeros. Of the Iron Islands? They're the McPoyles of the Iron Islands, and Euron is Nightman. This is very Always Sunny. I really appreciate it. <laughs> We're going through I a really lot of a lot of sitcom, not sitcoms, I don't know, shows today. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah, um, I don't know, I feel bad sometimes, because yeah, they suck, but like, House Cod does do some shit, right? Uh, they actually... Bloodless Tom of House Cod goes with the Iron Fleet to Slaver's Bay. Yes, that's his name. And Dagon Cod is left behind at Moat Kalen when Victorian goes for the King's Moot, and Dagon gets killed by Adfrak Humble. So, it, what are these names? Interesting. George has a has a lot of names. Lots of names. Shepherds, Weavers, Netleys, Humbles, Volmarks, Spars, and more. Victorian drank deeply with them, going off to their cook fires to hear them talk of war, crowns, plunder, glory, and freedom of his reign. Later, he feasts 50 famous captains on roast kid, salted cod, and lobster at the tideline with his brother Aaron attending as well. Many promise him their voices, Fraleg the Strong, Elvin Sharp, and Hotho Harlaw. Hotho offers him a daughter, but Victorian claims he has no luck with wives, okay? 
His first died in childbirth, the child too, and his second was dead from a pox. And his third, well, we'll come back to that one, but he murdered her. Hotho's daughter is young, fair, and fertile, and a king needs an heir, he insists. Besides, Euron was showing off several of his young spawn as they spoke. Victorian tries to picture the girl, but he only sees the wife he killed. He promises to look at her once he is crowned. So, as Chloe has said once upon a time, so never, he's never going to yeah, look never. at that girl. <laughs> uh, regarding the second wife dying from a pox, I thought that stood out to me. Does that mean what kind of pox? Because sometimes pox is used as a euphemism for, for STDs like syphilis in this world. And it could be that. I mean, there are other kinds of poxes, because I live in the real world and there are several kinds of poxes, but if it were a sexual disease, like an STD, like, where did he, where did she get it from? Because, was it your fault too, Victorian? And, I mean, if it wasn't his fault, was it his brother's fault? Maybe, or, like, literally anyone else, so, I don't know. I'm just thinking, like, has Euron... Has Euron been coveting his things a lot longer? Yeah. Though I guess he would have noticed if it were, like, an STI kind of pox, now that I think about it. I'm sure he's seen it before. Yeah. That's moreover why I would say probably just a regular pox. Probably, like, a John H. Ryan pox. <laughs> uh, so, Baylor Blacktide uh, was not as easy to negotiate with, uh, although he continues to be very sexy for some reason. Mm-hmm. He, he's a slept-on character. All right, as we have talked about in the Asha chapters, slept on. He is wearing a black and green tunic, a sable cloak, pinned with a silver seven-pointed star. He had been a hostage in Old Town for eight years, and he came back worshipping their gods. Yeah, a great commentary there, right, on this new culture and this culture diverging and the truth of the culture, right? Like, what happened to Baylor Blacktide is the same as Theon, in a way. But Theon was in the north, and Baylor was in Old Town, which is, you know, a little heavier on the liberal education and arts and uh, and religion in their culture, right? That's a very big cultural place to be held hostage at. So you can imagine that he's gotten a lot of viewpoints there. Yeah, he's also just, like, he's just way more mentally healthy than Theon. You know, he comes back and he just feels comfortable saying these things and also being like, but what if we did not do more war, right? Like, he he suggests things that are kind of similar to what Asha does, but also he doesn't do all the weird shit that Theon does when he returns home to the Iron Islands. Well, to be fair, he doesn't have Balin Greyjoy as his father waiting for him, right? And Baylor says... Balin was mad, Aaron's madder, and Euron's the maddest of them all. What of you, Lord Captain? If I shout your name, will you make an end of this mad war? Victorian asks if Baylor would have him bend the knee, and he's like, well, we can't face all of Westeros. Robert showed us that. Balin paid the iron price, but our woman bought his crown with empty beds. The old way is dead, he says. It's not dissimilar to what we see in the Dance of the Dragons, right? In Fire and Blood with the Riverlands, where it's just widows all the way down. Uh, All of these men went off to war and died. The old way is killing the Ironborn, right? Like, some of the Ironborn kill each other. Some are killed maybe in battle, but the old way is killing them more than anything. Evolve or be passed over is really what they're learning. 
He goes on to call Balin the Widowmaker. He would trade the Ironborn's freedom for his father to come back. Victorian has nothing to say to that, and Baylor leaves. The tent is hot and smoky. The men are dancing, drinking, fighting, singing old reaver songs like the Bloody Cup and Steel Rain. The Widowmaker. Uh, what a great line calling Balin the Widowmaker, connecting this kind of with the Widow's Tower that we see in The Kraken's Daughter, where we meet Gwyneth Harlaw, Roderick's sister, and the widow-slash-wife we meet in this book, and of course where Alanis stays as well. The entire book could really be a hunger for widows. So much of a feast for crows is showing widowhood from Marjorie, Lady Stoneheart, to Randa Royce, hell, to Cersei and her shenanigans. Well, yeah, those are shenanigans, and she is a widow. Kind of by her choice, but, uh... <laughs> what are you trying to say about our queen? Oh, nothing. You know, nothing that, uh... Ned Stark wouldn't say. <laughs> and, um... But I, I do want to come back to what you were saying about Baylor Blacktide because I like what you were saying of how Theon can't disavow the war in the same way that Baylor can because for, for Baylor, he, he kind of has this Ilaria-esque thing coming, right? Like, his dad died and for Theon, it's like you can't really like say shit about the war that like it's your dad's war right it's one thing even if you were like the vassal of some other lord being like i don't think we should do this war but it's literally your dad's war and you gotta kind of back that and it's also like the baggage that's kind of similar to quentin right being like mm, gotta go make dad absent dad proud and I don't mean this in a shitty way, but, like, Baylor didn't have those expectations to yeah. come home to, right? Like, yeah. his father, Baylor's father died in this war, and he'll never know the love and support of his father, much like Theon didn't when he went home, obviously, <laughs> and his was alive. Uh, <laughs> Shit. Daddy Blacktide probably also looked like Aragorn in fan art, mm. and uh, seriously, check out the Fantasy Flight artwork of <laughs> Baylor Blacktide. It is... In fucking sane. Like, I cannot tell you, like, flick the bean. Um, but glossing over that, glossing over that, but, like, his dad, you know, he'll never know now. And that's probably the hardest part, right? We see that for John, right? Not knowing his own father, not knowing that Ned's not his father father, though he is his daddy. Um, you know, he'll never know what was in Rhaegar's heart and mind necessarily without, like, brand CCTV. So... It goes a lot back to the conversation from Eamon, right, with John, and what what's honor, what's love, what's duty, what are all these things, and what do they mean to a person? Well, that right there is the answer. And what Baylor's saying here is true. Victorian doesn't embrace or understand what he says, because Victorian will go on to kill and sell wil widows and children later in the Reaver. He'll kill a boat of sex workers. He, he instead of dealing with problems or putting a structure into place, a political structure even, or planning for the future, like when Asha comes to him at the end of the chapter, it's like talking to a brick wall about political acumen. Mm. He beats the problem to death, literally, figuratively, every time. And, I mean, we'll revisit it, right? But for Victorian, he abandoned Moat Kalin for the king's moot. And then what happens to the Ironborn there that were supposed to be the men that he wants to rule? He abandons them and they die. That's a great point. Yeah, there's ramifications for all of this. And yeah, he goes home to play at leader instead of being one, standing mm -hmm. by his men. Because yes. I I think that if he had been at Moat Kalen, things would have gone a little differently because he would have been like, I don't know, I'm not going to treat with my like skinny weirdo 
nephew. Nephew. I don't understand. Yeah. He's like, I don't trust that kid. What? What's wrong with that kid? <laughs> Not because, like, I mean, things were wrong with Theon, and obviously he was leading them astray, but also mostly, yes. mostly, I think, regardless of all that, he would have just been like, uh, he's not buff. I will not listen to him. <laughs> Which, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. Yes, and that's a feast for crows. <laughs> but yeah, that's Cersei's story, and that is Victorian's story. In fact, they're on the opposite side of, of the, the clock. clock. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Amongst all of this noise is a woman laughing, and Victorian finds Asha whispering something into Carl the maid's ear, who's laughing too. Victorian had hoped Asha would be wiser than to come here, but seeing her makes him smile. He commands her to him, and she greets him, and says she's pleased to see him at her queen's mood. Yes, True. Asha queen, Asha queen, Asha queen. Victorian laughs at his niece, asking if she's drunk, reminding her that everyone remembers her as she was in her youth, swimming nude in the waters and playing with dolls, and she's like, mm, I also played with other toys, like axes, and I am very good at it and and so you see here this very much like infantilization of women in the ironborn culture right like even if any of them maybe shirked off gender roles they're never seen as anything more than children right they're never seen as as adults only men get to be adults and it has to be earned right versus boyhood right which is which is a problem today because you see these women like gwyness and alanis harlaw that are were absolutely capable Right, um, and fierce, ferocious women, but they're relegated to a tower, right? Locked away like private premium editions. And I do love, though, that there's still some sort of rapport with Vic and Asha, right? Like, he's her weird favorite uncle, and you can even see... It's hard, I mean, most of them suck, or are dead. Uh, Or are gone for good reason. There's even a little bit of the water gardens here, mm. right? Like, all of Pike kind of is a water garden for these kids that have grown up here swimming naked in the water with the drowned god, right? Playing with dolls or playing in the sands and on the beaches. I mean, this is their innocence. That was her innocence as a child. Yeah. It's also very much a literal water garden. Literally. A gray water garden. Yeah. Lots of water everywhere. Women want husbands, not a crown, Victorian says. When he's king, she will have a husband. She rebuts, I'll give you a pretty wife when I'm queen. And he says, I have no luck with women. Moving on to ask how long she's been there. Long enough to see that Uncle Aaron has awakened more than intended. Everyone wants a claim now, even if the king must be a kraken, as Victorian reminds her to some of these newcomers that want a crown. She comments, though, that by that logic, you're on is a huge kraken, an older kraken, and the elder brother must come before the younger, but she is Balin's blood, who comes before both of them. I just think it's so weird that Victorian keeps going like, I have no luck with women. Like, that's something you say when no one wants to swipe, I don't know, right on you on an app, not when a I killed my wife sort of way. Yeah. Yeah, red flags, man. (laughs) Red flags. Not good. And we'll come back to this more one day, eventually. Um, and we've said it already in the Asha chapters to an extent, but it's fascinating how Aaron and Victorian literally just hand over this kingship and power mm. over themselves, over what happens to their fates, because you're giving someone absolute power to their abuser because they just can't imagine a world where women could hold power and i'm not Mm -hmm. saying this to like 
victim blame them or anything, but uh, but more of to show how the rigidity of this patriarch patriarchal system chains them just as much as it does women. I mean, obviously, it, deadlier consequences for some of them, but I mean, the consequences for Aaron are really bad. They are really bad, not just in the past, but also in the future. Just because neither he nor Victorian could imagine that maybe we should just let Asha take it instead of gambling. Yeah, maybe we should all form behind one and give in. Because the force that's coming is going to be much greater. It's and like, terribler. They've just got like this, you know, the whole thing of like mediocre man very much assumes he is qualified and then they go give it a spin and then they're like, oh, what? I'm not. That bad, huh? <laughs> Well, before she can go on, they're interrupted by silence and Euron Greyjoy. I love the the subtle plays that George drops through here, right, of silence on and off when Euron arrives. He looks unchanged, Victorian thought. He looks the same as he did the day he laughed at me and left. Euron was the most comely of Lord Quellen's sons, and three years of exile had not changed that. His hair was still black as a midnight sea, with never a white cap to be seen, and his face still smooth and pale beneath his dark, neat beard. A black leather patch covered Euron's left eye, but his right was blue as a summer sky. His smiling eye, thought Victorian. Crow's eye, he said. Mmm. Mmm. Yeah, everyone's just like, I don't know. Drawn three handsome, so we should hand him the kingship, which is not a basis, also, uh, for kingship, hair dye, and skin care. But you're nope. on correct him being like, that's king's crow's eye to him, which is so. <sighs> Damp hair stands, reminding them that the king's moot will decide the king, and no godless man may sit the chair. But Euron says, he sat the sea stone chair more often lately than not to no objections. And besides, Euron has met more gods than anyone. He's met the best gods. Godless, he says. I am the godliest man ever to raise sail. You serve one goddamn pair, but I have served ten thousand. From Ib to Ashai, when men see my sails, they pray. And I'm just like, do you think that Euron wrote that speech ahead of time and then rehearsed it for this moment? Oh my god, he starred in his school's musical in like his junior year, and trust me, this is his time, this is his moment, he's been writing this speech and working on this monologue since then, and then he did acid for the first time somewhere mm. in his like mid-late teens, and let me tell you, that was, that really set all this off, so. Yeah. Gotta give him props, you know, he's really in for the long game on this speech. Did a semester Aaron... at Aaron calls these false gods an abomination, and Euron agrees, saying, Well, that's why I kill so many of them, and I spill their blood on the sea. Their gods can't stop me, so plainly they're false gods. And by the way, Aaron, that makes me holier than you. <laughs> Got him. I mean, honestly, I can't fault that loophole. It's a pretty interesting loophole. His logic is, like, seamless here. It kind of is. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. Kind of is. It has like two seams, but thankfully he just throws you back and forth at those seams, so they right. never end. Uh, he uh, he turns his eye on Victorian and Asha, and he's like, 
tell me, how does Alanis Harlaw fare? And Ash is like, very poorly, because somebody made her a widow, dipshit. And you're on fake's ignorance. He's like, tell me this man's name so I can avenge my brother. Ash is like, IDK, it was just kind of funny that you showed up three years to the day after your exile and my dad died. I don't mean anything by it, though. Just saying. Kind of weird. And Euron's like, are you ac- are you accusing me, LOL? And Ash is Suspicious. like, I don't know. IDK, LOL. IDK, bestie. Euron looks at his friends and he's like, what? Do I command the winds? And of they're winter? like, no, boss. Couldn't be you. Couldn't be you, man. Look under your chair. <laughs> Oh my god, I would I would vote for Euron if he gave me the lens of winter. I think it makes sense now. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, that's apparently the criteria. <laughs> it's kind of brilliant because he's using religion to as a shield, right? He's claiming he's holier than everything and that his law is above all because he's holy. But then he simultaneously uses it as this defense that no one can touch him through it, right? He's like weaponizing the old culture versus the new culture and promising them something new while serving them up the same old shit on a platter that he's going to, like, throw into the sea before they can have it. He's a charlatan, right? Like, (laughs) and somehow he just, like, has so much power. They buy it. They buy it. And, like, he gives them to an extent what what he promises, right, in terms of more violence and, like... Mm -hmm. Aaron and Victorian are kind of like, I'm, I am surprised. Aaron's like, surprise Pikachu. And, <laughs> like, the thing that happened to me as a child is the thing that we got because Aaron's in power, but... Yeah, God's word didn't speak so loud that day, did it? Or too loud. <sighs> Not good. Euron says, honestly, the best thing for Asha at this point would be to become a wife. And he starts asking around his crew. He's like, any of you single? And Asha pulls out her axe at all of the third person talk about fucking and spanking her that's going on, saying that's the only husband she means to have. She means to have. Yeah, it doesn't really take much for Euron to squash Asha's campaign, which is big sad. And... After this, so few people respect her, right? No one really respects her because how can you respect someone that you think that you should be spanking, right? Like, how can she hope to lead Mm -hmm. people who, especially after this is reinforced, like, see her only as an object who should belong to one of them? You're not going to take orders from that. And Euron dehumanizes Asha so quickly, again, simply by turning her into a sexual object, which is something that Euron does, right? He, He... uses sexual objectification to exert power over others. Which is like one of the most ultimate reads of the old way, right? And the very Uh. foundation of their concubine system, right? He demeans her and tells them to treat her lesser, like a concubine, which is, we don't even need to go into how fucked up that part is, already on its own without that part. Mm -hmm. So interesting to kind of delegate her to that role in order to remove her the board to remove her from the board and it works i mean it works yeah quickly easily uh again he's better than them at this right like he's a nightmare and he's better than them that's yeah. why he wins and he does like a more effective car stark with that too when he yes. tries to marry her off marries her to a seal brilliant i mean it worked well i think everyone else believed it so <sighs> looks just like her they said oh how my rude God. 
Seals are cute, though. Um, Victorian breaks it up, <laughs> saying that he'll have no bloodshed, and asks Euron to take his pets and go. And Euron says he had expected a warmer welcome from them, that he is his elder and soon his rightful king. There's a when the Kang's moot speaks, we shall see who wears the driftwood crap. So Euron, I guess, takes his dogs, as they're called, and goes. There's silence lingering behind them. <laughs> and then Asha asks her uncle to walk with her outside under the cloudy sky and faint stars. And they walk along the many ships and banners, bobbing at anchor. And Asha asks him to tell her about why the crow's eye went away in the first place. He had taken many reavings and gone on many trips, but this time he had gone east. And Asha herself had been in the arbor on through to the stepstone, stealing trick stealing trinkets from Lycini pirates. I'm sitting here and I'm like, no, Salador, I do not see it. I pretend <laughs> I do not see it for my favorite girl boss. Oh my god. <sighs> you know, sometimes the characters you like, they're just at odds with one another. You know, you know, my two faves. Sometimes it's like that. When Asha returned, he was gone and Victorian's wife was dead. Victorian says she had only been a self wife. Victorian says she had only been a salt wife, but he thinks he had not touched another woman since he gave her to the crabs. I will need to take a wife when I'm king, a true wife, to be my queen and bear me sons. A king must have an heir. Balin had refused to speak of Victorian's wife as well, and Victorian changes the subject, saying, I saw Roderick's longship. Asha says it took all her charm to wrinkle him out of the book tower. She has the Harlaws then, he thinks. You know, I'm gaining a much higher understanding of the support of the Harlaws and what it means this time around for the Ironborn, right? Like, location-wise, what it means. And they're almost like the Tullys to the Baratheons in this dynamic duo, right? Like, they are a great asset to have. They bring ships. They bring people. Um, just a, a better understanding of how they relate to them and how it's not just Balin's wife. You know, not just Roderick the Reader. Balin's wife. It's a bunch of people, a big family that gives power to the Ironborn here, to the Greyjoys. Yeah, they're a strategic family that absolutely confers legitimacy, right? Because they're they're old. They're old and respected. Unlike, you know, I don't know, the phrase or some shit. No, I'm serious. Like, that's, that's no, the true. difference, right? Like, how the Westerlings, yeah. right? They're like, that's an old mm -hmm. name. That's an old house. So Victorian tells Asha that she cannot hope to rule the Iron Islands because she was a woman. And she doesn't put up much of a fight and agrees because after four days and four, not four nights, her own were with her and a handful of others, but she can see now it's not enough to win the Isles. And in fact, she is thinking about voting for one of her uncles, even possibly Victorian, if he would share the rule. And then Victorian's like, what does she mean by this? Uh, gets a very weird boner being like, oh, she wants to be my queen like that <laughs> yeah he tells her that the chair seats only one and she's like well let me stand behind you then to guard your back to whisper in your ear even the dragons had men helping them the king's hand she asks to give him a hand job sorry she asks to be his hand to end the war before it ends them and make a peace if they give back deepwood mott torn square and moat Kalen. The Northmen would give them Stony Shore and Sea Dragon Point. Yeah. If Victorian were smarter, I wonder if he would have, like, remembered Daemon Targaryen. Or the, <laughs> I mean, that's what this moment is. 
Well, yeah. she's not saying to get married, right? But she's, she is suggesting, you know, being his hand. And he's like, I don't understand this concept. But uh, yeah, I it's fascinating that the only thing that stops him thinking of Asha in a sexual way is that he reminds himself, word for word, like, she is Balin's daughter. And then that's what sparks the images then of her as a child, right? Then suddenly she's like his niece. It, it's not that like she's his niece or that he watched her grow up, though he... It's that he reminds himself of her importance to some other man who's not even here mm -hmm. anymore. It's like when people are like, that's someone's daughter. And it's like, no, that's just a person, their own person that you should respect because they're a human. To get people to like, you know, to turn someone down, right? They don't respect mm -hmm. if you're like, no, you have to be like, I'm dating someone or I'm married. They only yes, respect I some other man. to someone. Yeah. Yep. Yep, exactly. Victorian chuckles and says that... Lady Glover played her a fool. There's nothing to hand back. Winterfell's been burnt. The North will be theirs like Balin dreamed. Lol. Ash is like, yeah, right. Ash is like, it, it, it's too hard to hold the North. It's too big. And he tells her to go back to her dolls that he has two hands, <laughs> for now, <laughs> and no man needs three. She says he needs to her to get House Harlaw. But Victorian tells her Hotho has offered his daughter and he will have the Harlaws to his side. He says that the crow's eye has been gone too long, repeating his men's words, and he will be king. Some men look larger at a distance, Asha warned. Walk amongst the cook fires if you dare and listen. They are not telling tales of your strength, nor of my famous beauty. <laughs> they talk only of the crow's eye, the far places he's seen, the woman he has raped, the men he's killed... The cities he has sacked, the way he burnt Lord Tywin's fleet at Lannisport. Yeah, it's actually reminds me of that idea, right? Of power being a shadow on the wall and it residing where men believe it resides. And you kind of get, is Euron the answer to the riddle of like the one, the religious man, the one who chooses to follow the priest, right? Except uh, no one chooses to follow Aaron, apparently, but a different kind of Euron sort of godliness mm -hmm. because somehow being far away and in exile the mystery around Euron he can just make up whatever the fuck he wants no one's going to contradict him because his entire crew has had their tongues ripped out right and all of this has only made Euron stronger exactly dead men tell no tales and men without tongues don't either right and that's literally I mean that's what Euron's mystique is built on it's built on this trail of blood and even here uh, Asha kind of responds you know, with her own thoughts and, like, her own concepts of what she thinks happened. Mm. She, Victorian's like, excuse me, I burnt the Lion's Fleet. I flung that torch onto the flagship. And Ash is like, but you're on Hatch the Scheme, right? He's the one who told you what to do, and he killed your wife, right? And he's like, not dignifying any of that with an answer. Balin told them not to speak of it, but Balin was dead, she thinks. So so we end with this conversation between them of he, him being like, he put a baby in her belly and made me do the killing. I would have killed him too, but Balin would have no kin slaying in his hall. He sent Euron into exile, never to return. So long as Balin lives. Victorian looked at his fists. She gave me horns. I had no choice. Had it been known, men would have laughed at me, as the crow's eye laughed when I confronted him. She came to me wet and willing, he had boasted. It seems Victorian's big everywhere, but where it matters. But he could not tell her that. I'm sorry for you, said Asha, and sorrier for her, but 
You leave me small choice but to claim the sea stone chair myself. You cannot. Your breath is yours to waste, woman. It is, she said, and left him. Leave Good that job, man. Asher. It is your breath. <sighs> yeah, I actually love that that ending for her, for Asha, because, you know, at the very least, she's saying something is hers. It's her own heir. It's her own life. And that that has worth, right? Beyond just whatever a man's, being a man's whatever. They can control who she marries. They can marry a seal to Eric, Anvil, whatever, fucker. And that's fine and dandy, but they can't have her breath. Yeah. They're not going to have her thoughts. They're not going to have her breath. And these men can play at ship, right? They're just playing with their boat toys at this point. But she had bigger beans to fry. Beans. Lose. Lost yeah. her beans. Lost her fried beans. For now. For now. But who knows? There's, I don't know. She's not with some beans. She's with, like, I don't know, people steak, as we're, as we're seeing. <laughs> <laughs> the stakes are I'm high. Sorry, pig. Pig, as they might call it in Bran's <clears throat> chapters. And yeah, so at the end of this, throughout the chapter, it's been teased out. We finally get that quick introduction to Victorian's, in quotes, trauma, which we see is only like painful for him because he sees his wife's pain solely as an extension of his own. Like that woman literally died, right? And the pain comes, I think, mostly from his pride. There, there's the loss aspect of it too, right? Again, it's for an act from an act that he did, but he's giving Euron credit for. He's putting the blame on Euron. And I'm like, so why are you questioning people giving Euron the credit for burning the lion's fleet? I mean, you're giving Euron credit for the murder that you committed. So I don't know. You can't have it both ways, Victorian. Yeah, it's interesting. He blames everyone but himself and refuses to accept his role in it, right? She gave me horns. I had no choice. Oh, it's Euron like did this. Yeah. Oh, a lot like Jorah. That's a great, that's actually a great way to look at it. Yeah, but that's what's so funny is he like corrects her. He's like, no, you know, that was my fleet that I burnt. And that right there says a lot of their relationship. Yeah. As, as Asha says, right? I mean, he's kind of pitiful in all of that. I mean, like, I don't feel bad for him in that way, but as she's, it, it's her way of kind of minimizing him, which I think she should. Yeah, I also really appreciate that that was the veneer ripped off. It's actually kind of a sad moment, because, again, that was her weird, cool last uncle left that wasn't, like, a total weirdo. Like, he was kind of weird, but, like, yeah. she was like, eh. I like the way you're weird and we don't get along anymore, but I still like you, Uncle Vic. And that was just the veneer was taken off. That was the shell that was laying over it. Like his mystery. You talk about ha ah, the seashell. You talk about Euron's mystique and everything he's built up. And he, this is all Victorian is underneath Euron's, uh, you know, Emerald City curtain. There probably is just a small man, but Victorian just proved the small man under his mystique. Yeah. He's so enchained in all of the old way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's Alice in Chains, you could say. Oh! Uh, George, you Alan- should use that Alanis one. Alanis in Chains? Uh. Ah, Alanis in Chains. Yeah. Alanis actually is there to remind me of the times when... Alanis, you know. Yeah, it took me a moment to figure out which Alanis we were going for. Alanis is out there like... Yep. Bailin, 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 I don't know. <laughs> 
but he's yeah. dead. <laughs> yeah, he's dead. So I think that's a great note to end this chapter on. Thank you for listening in to the Iron Captain. We'll be back with the Reaver for our next A Song of Ice and Fire episode. I cannot wait. And then after that, we have a special guest. A special guest. A special guest. Yeah, actually very special guest. And if you want to stay up to date with those episodes and our upcoming Magical Girls Gone Canon episodes, and again, this very special guest, you can do that by following us on social media, twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon, that's C-A-N-O-N, or by sending us an email to girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yeah, I think this is our special guest's first Girls Gone Canon appearance ever. It is. Ever. Wow. It's insane it's taken this long, and we can't wait for you to find out. And you're going to find out if you stay subscribed to us on a podcasting platform that's near you and beloved to you in your heart, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Audible, Amazon Podcasts, you name it, you're going to find out about that guest next, a Song of Ice and Fire episode at the front of it over there. Over there. On there. (laughs) And another over there that you can definitely always find us is at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where, again, patrons in the $5 tier and above get access to bonus episodes. Last month, we covered The Mystery Night. This month, we are coming back with Meat House Man. Though we are covering Meathead Man, I guess, for our POVs. Yes, Meathead Man by Day, Meat House Man by Night. I'm excited. Meathead Man by Daylight. Meat House Man. Oh, (laughs) gosh. Do stay tuned for our special Sailor Moon episode coming at the end of the month, Magical Girls Gone Canon. And of course, if you're interested in attending brunch, that would be for March 2023, March 26th, 1 to 3 p.m. for patrons in the Thunder tier and above. Uh, We will be hanging out on the Discord voice chat and just having a jolly time with everyone, and we hope to see you there. (laughs) Jolly time, yes. Leave me alone. (laughs) We are going to have a jolly time. (laughs) As always, as always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. We'll see you again for the next chapter for Victorian. Yeah, we are the godliest of hosts. Girls God canon. When men see our podcast updates in their feed, they motherfucking pray. Maybe they should. (laughs) There are no men like us, only us. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.